Well, good morning. Great to have you here. And uh, for those of you that are in the auditorium here, for those of you down in the family room, and for those of you at home, online, watching, welcome. And for those of you who may be visiting, wherever you are, we are glad you've joined us. Trust that this will be a profitable time for you uh, this morning. So, have you ever made a decision that you wish you could take back? <laughs> ah, absolutely, right? Uh, I, I, I remember early, early in our first year of marriage for Jane and I, um, I bought a motorcycle. I hear groans and moans like, wow. You, you must be assuming that that is the decision that I regret. And uh, uh, it was more of a dirt bike, but uh, I had a good friend, and uh, we, we had gone to college together, and he was living in the area where we were, and, and uh, he was really good uh, on the dirt bike and thought that I should do that and was teaching me how to ride his, and it would be a good thing. I talked with Jane about it, and uh, really wanted her to agree with me that that was uh, something that we could or should do, and uh, I, I kind of prayed about it, um, and, and my friend didn't think I could go wrong when we located one, but as I was praying, it was one of those prayers where I really had already pretty much made up my mind and was just asking God to kind of put his stamp of approval on it. Have you ever prayed that way? Well, maybe you don't want to admit it, but um, yeah, um, some of you are kind of nodding your heads. And, and uh, so I followed through and, and bought the motorcycle and had taken it for a test drive with my friend who knew all about it and thought we were in good shape, but it was not a good situation. Uh, we had to tear the whole thing apart. I didn't. I watched and did what David told me, but uh, he tore it apart, and we took the opportunity at that point to repaint it and everything and do all of that stuff and rebuild the whole thing, and, and we got it running, and it was running well, and Jane and I went out a few times on it, but it was pretty obvious to me that that's not a decision that I probably should have made. Uh, probably any time, not just uh, the first few months of our, of our marriage together. Uh, so it wasn't long after that um, that we ended up taking a church down in uh, Russell, Iowa, southern Iowa, uh, about an hour south of where we were living at that time. And so we took the motorcycle with us, but things only got worse because I uh, uh, sold it to a high school guy in our church. And uh, he was all excited and made sure that his parents were all behind it and all the rest of that. But if you've ever driven on dirt roads in Iowa, actually they call them gravel roads, and you really have to learn how to do because the gravel slides all over the place. Well, he bought this dirt bike from me and he wrecked it. And he ended up in the hospital a little bit, kind of messed up, and the bike was shot and, and oh... How I wish I could have taken that decision back. But it was made. Have you been there? 
Yep, some of you are shaking your heads. Yep, you've been there. Uh, I'm guessing that as I was telling that story and asking that question, a number of you are already thinking of a decision that you made that you'd like to take back. And uh, I could come up with some others. In fact, I was talking about it with Jane on the phone. I was telling her about my illustration after she remembered all of that. And, of course, she remembered it. She did say to me, I don't remember us talking about that. But um, um, anyway, she's down with our daughter and son-in-law, a new granddaughter. And um, so I said, well, we did. We did. But, you know, uh, it was one of those things. And... You know, I, I, I think that the problem with those kinds of decisions is, is one of two things, or really twofold, that number one, either we're not seriously thinking about what is it that God wants, and or number two, we just end up making a bad decision. It's not a wise choice, and so either we don't consider what God wants in a serious way, or we just make the bad decision. I think for me, in the case of that motorcycle, it was both. A bad choice, and I really wasn't thinking about what it was that God wanted. So how do we avoid those kinds of decisions? How do we make the right decision? How do we decide God's will when we're just not sure? And that's what we want to chat about, talk about this morning as we look at the Word of God so for the last three weeks, we've focused on this statement. Uh, you can know God's will for your life by living in obedience to the revealed will and word of God. So God's will, as we've talked, is about obedience. Uh, in other words, do God's will, know God's will. We've talked about that. Do God's will and you'll know God's will. The idea of obeying what God has already revealed in his word. That is God's will. We call that God's will of desire. Then we also spent the last two weeks talking about those areas that are God's will of desire for our lives. And we looked at uh, eight different areas. We talked about if you are going to know the will of God for your life, you have to, first of all, understand that it is God's will that you are saved, that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you understand you're born a sinner, and God loved us, He made us, and so with that sin, He could have nothing to do with us. But He sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, to die on the cross to shed His blood and pay the debt that we owed for our sin. That's what it means to be saved. Then we, were, we need to be spirit-filled. We need to be sanctified, submissive, suffering. Then last week, we talked about what it means to be seeking first, putting God above everything else. We talked about 1 Thessalonians 5, that it is God's will that we rejoice in all things, that we pray continually. And in every circumstance, we're giving thanks because that is the will of God. We ended in Colossians chapter 1, living like holy people. That is absolutely God's will for our lives, every one of us. And so as we talked through all of that, we said, all right, it is God's will that these things be true. And then last Sunday morning, 
I shared with you how you then can know God's will for your life as you're making a decision that is not found in the Word of God, that is not one of those areas that we've called God's will of desire. So what do we do with those questions? What do we do with those decisions, those choices that we need to make that are apart from what the Bible tells us is God's will for our lives? Apart from simple obedience as spelled out for us in the Bible, how do we make decisions that we know will please God? And so we talked about this whole business that when you are actively pursuing God's will for your life, that you are living your life in obedience to what you know to be true in the Word of God, to what we know already is His will for us. Here's what we said. Do what you want. Do what you want. And I don't know if you've had opportunity to think that through this week, if you've taken the time to search through the Bible and study some of those scriptures that we've talked about, because that sounds kind of selfish. It sounds almost self-serving. It sounds like, wait a minute, what does God have to do with this? If we are saying, do what you want, where does God come in the picture? Well, God comes in the picture in preparing your heart before you even get to that. That's why we say we obey his revealed will and word to us, the things that we're doing every day of our lives. And when we're living that way, when we're seeking first all that God has for us, all that he tells us in the Bible, the word of God, when we do what, our, what we want, it's not we're going to go and just ignore everything else that we know that God teaches us. We are going to be pursuing him we talked about Psalm 37, 4, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of his heart. But even at that, that's not we just go out and buy whatever, the biggest big screen TV we can find or the newest, fastest, brightest car we can find or that whatever. No, it's not about that. It's we allow God's desires, as we delight Him, they become our desires. And God puts within our hearts what it is He wants us to do. And so the decisions that we're making are really what God would have us to do. They're His desires as we make those choices, those decisions. That's what we've talked about. But you may be saying, but what if I'm still not sure? Because I don't want to make it sound overly simple, but I... As we've talked, we have made this much more confused than God ever intended it to be. We have made it far more difficult than God ever intended his will for our lives to be. The difficulty comes not in knowing, but doing, right? When we talked about that list of nine areas already, man, those, those when you put them all together, those are tough tough areas for us to follow through and there's a whole lot more than that but God gives us the strength and the power and the grace to obey his word so please open your Bibles with me as we talk about that what if you're not sure how do we how do we respond uh, to Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 to 17 actually we're going to look through verse 18 and uh, for those of you here in the auditorium 
There is a Bible underneath the chair in front of you somewhere close at hand. If you don't have a Bible, would like to use one, page 816, page 816 in that Bible, and uh, we're going to look at that. Now, let me set the table. Let me get the context going here so that as we begin to look at this, you'll understand the flow of what the Word of God has, what Paul is saying as he talks to the church, as he writes to the church in Ephesus. Of course, he's writing to us, and what he says to them applies to us. And so the first three chapters of, of the book of Ephesians, all right, the first three chapters have to do with theology. Now, that's a big word, but it's the truth about God and how he relates to us. And we're told in those first three chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus that uh, we are chosen by God. Man, chapter one, what an amazing, amazing chapter. God's choosing us. God's knowing us ahead of time, and he chooses us for salvation. Then the, the, the passage that we just looked at, chapter two, verses one to nine and beyond, how, that, how we're saved and how that we're dead in our sins, and yet God made us alive because of Christ's work on the cross for us. Well, that's the theology, telling us all about his grace and sending his son Jesus to die for us. And then we get to chapter 4, 5, and 6. And right at the beginning of chapter 4, things change. It's no longer theology. It's no longer the truth about God and about us that we need to be aware of. It's now methodology. It's now how we live our lives, how we are to take the change that God's brought into our lives, the salvation and how we are to live that out. And that's what chapters four, five and six are all about. And so as we jump into chapter four and verse one, this is what we read uh, just as we as we follow this on through. So verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. What's that calling? To salvation. He laid that theological foundation back in chapter 1. We have been called to salvation and we're to live a life worthy of what God has done for us. We say we're saved. We need then to be living so that people see and know that we are. And, and then he goes on down, and you can read through chapter 4. You get down to verse 17. And Paul says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you, and he's talking to those who are believers, those Ephesian believers in that church. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, who are the Gentiles? What's he talking about? What do you mean? Well, typically in Scripture, when you read Gentiles, is talking about those who do not have a relationship with God, who do not know Jesus Christ. So we're talking about unsaved people. He says then, you, you who know Jesus, should no longer live like you are an unsaved person. You've been changed. You've been forgiven. Your life has, has been transformed Live like it. 
Now, in verse 18 of chapter 4, and, and you, you can look at your Bibles. I don't have that on the script. It says they are darkened. Those who don't know Jesus are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's a description of a person without God. And then we look at verses 20 and 21. And in verses 21, 20 and 20, Paul says, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. You who have been chained, transformed, saved, you're different. The life that you once had as an unsaved with a hard heart, a person who didn't know God, he says, that's not the way of life you learned when you came to know. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, he says, when you come to know God, when you become a follower of Jesus, he says, your life is to be different. You know why? Because that's God's will. He changed us. We're different. We're forgiven. We, we, we use the word saved. We, our life has been transformed, changed from the inside out. And we're not to live the old way of life like those who don't know God. Well, then we move on down. In other words, life Live your life in a way that demonstrates, in a way that shows you are different, that you and I have been changed, that we are followers of Jesus. Now, he continues on. And by the way, that difference needs to influence every decision you make. We talked about, okay, so what if you're still not sure? When we say do what you want, you're still not sure. All right, understand you are a child of God, and the, that fact must influence every choice you make regarding the will of God in your life. You think differently. You are different. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here, here's what Paul says. So follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Follow God's example. Now, he really is talking about Jesus. Jesus on the face of the earth, right? Jesus is God, right? God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. He says, so follow his example. Jesus is the one who walked the face of this earth and lived an example for us to follow. Follow his example as dearly loved children. Then he goes on down to verse 8. And, and, and you can check out the context. You read through all of chapter 5 on your own. You'll see it's a, it's a beautiful flow. But it gets down in verse 8 and he says, You were once darkness. Again, he's talking to those who know Jesus. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Let the difference be seen. Don't live in a way that, that, that would indicate in any way that there's darkness in your life. Make decisions as, as a child of light and find out what pleases the Lord. What is it that pleases the Lord? Doing the will of God. And what is that? And what have we been saying? Obeying this book. Obeying God's word. 
is God's will, and that is what pleases him. It's really not difficult to understand what's difficult is to do that. Because that work in our hearts is still that old nature, that sin nature that, that is like Paul described, the things that I want to do I can't or don't, and the things that I don't want to do, those I do. And he goes, oh, wretched man that I am, but it's the grace of God that has changed us when we were saved. And we can live a different life. We can live as children of light. We can live in a way that pleases God as we do his will. So then down to verse 15. And, and here's the text. And we're just going to just skim right over the, the top of it. You dig into it on your own. It's, it's, it's amazing truth. Practical, daily, everyday truth. And here's what Paul says. Be very careful then how you live. Now, that's, that's the key for these next six verses or so. Be careful how you live. That, that's it. And then he goes on and he says, not as unwise. And there are three not buts in these next few verses. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And, and the being careful about how we live. Live carefully. Live in a way that we walk accurately is what he's talking about. And he says, that's not as an unwise, but live as a wise person, which has to do with making the most uh, of the opportunity. It's buying up every opportunity. The word there is actually the word for redeem. We have been redeemed. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're saved, you're saved because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and mine with his blood. And God purchased us. God bought us out of the slave market of sin with his blood. He redeemed us and set us free. That's the word. Redeem the time or every opportunity. Live wisely. That's making the most of all the opportunities God gives us, the time that we have. Why? Because the days are evil. People, I don't think I have to tell you that. Um, you, you can read the paper or watch the news or look on the internet or whatever you want. We know the days are evil. And the days are are getting shorter before the Lord's return for us. The days are evil, and if we're going to make sure that we're living in God's will, pleasing Him by the way we live, living so that there's a difference, an observable, a demonstrated difference in our lives and the way we live, we need to make sure that we live carefully. Not as unwise, but as wise. What is the wise thing for you to do? And then we go down. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but there's the second not, but so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will. And again, as we've talked about, the Lord's will here has nothing to do with, OK, so 
who am I going to marry or where am I going to go to college next year or what car should I buy or what state should we live in or what job should I take or should I buy this lawnmower or that lawnmower? That's not what he's talking about. Understand what the Lord's will. He's already been giving that out in chapters 4 and 5. It's about walking in obedience to his word. It's about living our lives so the people see we are different. So that they see Jesus in us. And that's how we make decisions that aren't spelled out. We, we live in a way that shows we're different, that we're followers of Jesus, and we do what we want. And, and then he goes on. Verse 18, and do not get drunk. Here's the third not but. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, that's, that's the, the, the but. Instead, or but, be filled with the Spirit. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And, and that we need to be living that way. In other words, it's not under our own control, but it's under the control of the Holy Spirit of God in obedience to what He's told us in His Word. So when you're not sure, we, we can do a little bit of a life check. Do a little bit of self-evaluation, self-examination. Are we living in a way that shows the presence of Jesus in our lives? Are we living in obedience to what God has already revealed in his word. Are we living in obedience to what we already know is his will for our lives? And if we are, do what you want. Do what you want. Because it won't be self-focused. It'll be God-focused. When we live that kind of life. So how do we wrap this all up? What does this mean? Well, let me give you some illustration. Let me just say again to you that it's um, do God's will, know God's will. Do what you know is God's will. We've talked about a number of areas. When you read God's word, you know what it is God wants you to do, right? There's not question about that. That's not the battle. It's actually doing what we know, and then you will know more of what it is that he wants you to do when we're walking in obedience to what God has for our lives. You see, God's will is found in day-to-day living. We make God's will about these distant, big decisions. We, we, that's typically what we talk about God's will. Listen, that's not what the Bible talks about as God's will. God's will as described in the word of God is day-to-day living. Maybe the routine, the mundane, the things that we don't even think about as, as, we're, as we're on the phone talking to people. Do you sound like Jesus is in your life? Have you ever been on the phone with uh, some company or some 
utility or some credit card or whoever and and they have not done what they ought to do with your bill or or your whatever it is and and you're a little irritated because nobody seems and and all of a sudden it's like you know what if that person was ever to meet you what would they think would they think that we are people who know jesus what about driving in the car? We talk about that often, right? If we ever actually pulled into a, you know, we have problems with somebody on the highway, a little bit of that road rage, and, and, and then you're going down and you both pull into the same store right next to each other. And then what would happen is you got out. Would they know? Would they see Jesus in your life? Oh, man. Or how about at the grocery store? You know, we, we have, right, circles all over the floor in all the stores you go in, and the grocery store, and there's tape and arrows, and, and it's confusing, and sometimes somebody's, you're trying to pay attention, and if you've already been through it once, you get it and understand, but somebody who doesn't, they're, they're cutting in line or whatever, and how do we react do people see Jesus in us by the way we react? You see, those are things that are God's will for every moment of every day of our lives. We get all concerned about those big things. You know what? When we live the day to day, every opportunity, things that come our way, we do the will of God. You know, I talked to you last week about my brother-in-law's job situation and, and an opportunity that he had to make a choice between two things. And, and, and as he and I talked, you know, you, you, you weigh things out and you make a decision. And I knew that Rick is a guy who's walking with God. He, that's his desire. Just do what you want, Rick. Uh, this week, I was talking with my oldest son, Luke. And he'd been given a... A, a new opportunity in his work situation. And uh, he was flattered that he was chosen by someone higher up in the, in the organization. And, <clears throat> and, and it was a great opportunity, really. In fact, it's not something that had to be approved by a hundred different people before you could get the job, but it was just he was being chosen by this individual. And, and, and it was like, wow, what an opportunity. And yet, he wasn't sure that's what he wanted to do. He was concerned about the shift changes, that it wasn't going to be just the, the day shift. It would be sometimes one second shift and sometimes third shift. And, and it might mean more time away from home and, and, and from church and from his family. And, and with what he's doing now, he has a car that he can use. And with that, there wouldn't be, or at least he wasn't sure. And then it was only going to be a, a six month, or maybe it would have been a little longer, could grow into that. And, and so if it was only six months, what about the job that he is leaving to take the new one? Would it still be there for him? And if not, where would he then go? And what would that look like? And, and as we talk through these, and he said, Dad, I just love what I'm doing. And I'm flattered that I'm chosen, and I'm, I'm like, Luke, I, I don't want to preach, but I kind of preached. And he, he actually said, hey, thanks, but it, it, just do what you want. Just do what you want. Because as you're walking with God, and you're obeying what you know to be true already right here, and, and your pursuit of the will of God is the most important thing, you want what God wants 
do what you want. I could tell you about the decision I made to come to Heritage. This August will be nine years. I can't believe that. Some of you are going, oh, oh, I can. No, I just did <laughs> But seriously, I, when the opportunity came up, I'd been in touch. I had just done a, a Bible conference at a church down in Florida in the villages the, with the pastor who had got me into youth ministry out in the Chicago area. And, and, and I'd gone down there to do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of a Bible conference and speak. And we had a great time. And, and he asked me if I'd be interested. And he was 75 at that point in his, in his life. And the church was booming. He'd started that church about three or four years prior. And it was going. They had a new building. And they were getting ready to start another church. This was in the villages. If you've ever been down there, I called Jane and told her, man, he wants, he's interested in me wanting to know if I'd be interested in taking the church. And she says, you said you'd never go to Florida. I said, but this is not Florida. This is the villages. This is really cool. Everybody rides around in golf carts. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's just an amazing thing. And as we talked through it, we said, well, what are some things that, that were important to us as we talked? We said, well, we don't want to go further north. The older we get, the harder north, farther north you go, the harder it gets. And we don't want to move farther away from our kids. And, 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 and as we talked about all those things, and, and, and basically we would have been by far the youngest people in the church. And, you know, and that was like nine years ago. So that would make me about then 45 or so. And no, some of you don't know how old I am. So that's all right. <laughs> But bottom line, it came down to it. And Jane said, you know, I think you have more to offer a younger generation as well. We talked through that. And what, what we wanted to do, we didn't have to move if we stayed here. And we wouldn't have to start all over. We would know the area and people. And we do what we want. We were seeking the will of God and God directed. You can know God's will for your life by living in obedience to his word. I already shared with you Psalm 37 and verse 4. Take the light in the Lord and it'll give you the desires of your heart. You make the Lord the center of your pleasure and your desires. And he puts his desires in your heart. And the things that you want are the things that he wants. Do what you want. Sometimes that feels a little uncomfortable. We're afraid to make the wrong choice. Listen, God won't let you make a mistake. We talked about that. I am absolutely convinced. God will not let you make a mistake. The best way to know the will of God is to do the will of God. Did you get that? That's basically what we've been saying for four weeks now. The best way to know the will of God is to do the will of God. Make it your goal to please Him. Make it your goal to know Him. Make it your goal to obey Him. And do what He's already revealed is His will in his word. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, a verse that you may know well. Trust in the Lord. I'm not sure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Put yourselves under his authority in your life, and he will make your path straight. That's it. So as we wrap it up, can I challenge you to read back through Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 and look through those and, and look at one of those areas of obedience that you're not obeying right now. Just pick one. Maybe there's only one. And decide you're going to obey and change that area of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die for us. Father, I pray that you would use your word in our lives to direct us. God, help us to live our lives differently. Help people to see that Jesus is alive and well in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.